welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. President Trump has scheduled a primetime event from the White House East Room at 9 tonight to announce his choice to replace Justice Anthony Kennedy on the Supreme Court. Here he is speaking as he boarded Air Force One in New Jersey on Sunday. Let's say it's the four people, but and they're excellent. Everyone, you can't go wrong. But I'm getting very close to making a final decision. Joining me is Michael Dorf, a professor at Cornell University Law School who clerked for Justice Kennedy. Michael, all four are very conservative, vetted by the Federalist Society. Is one less conservative than another? And by that I mean, is there any reason for liberals to favor the selection of one over another? Well, I'm not sure that we uh, can do anything about it, so it's not clear that favoring someone uh, helps. Uh, my understanding, is, at least from the news reported today, is that uh, the president has narrowed his choices down to judges uh, Brett Kavanaugh and uh, Thomas Hardiman. Uh, as between them, they've both uh, written quite conservative decisions. Uh, I think uh, Kavanaugh is seen by conservatives as potentially more wobbly uh, because in the challenge to the Obamacare case, he wrote a decision that didn't strike down the law. Uh, He said the case wasn't ripe yet because of a federal law involving uh, when you can challenge taxes. And so because conservatives think he's potentially wobbly, maybe liberals should be somewhat more reassured by Kavanaugh. But they're both quite conservative. Now, um, Kavanaugh has been sort of the favorite uh, in most news articles, at least, uh, for quite a while. And you talk about, you know, the, the there might be some people see it as there might be, you know, conservatives will be less happy with him as though they'll all go behind any uh, nominee. What, why is, what is the problem that they see with him in a little more depth? Well, so let me go back to the Affordable Care Act case. Uh, this is sort of the bete noir of the Tea Party wing of the Republican Party and the Republican Party more generally, right, that you know, they want to get rid of Obamacare. So he had a chance in 2011 to strike down Obamacare. Uh, and he didn't quite do that. He wrote an opinion in which he concurred uh, in a the judgment of the uh, D.C. Circuit, that is his court. Um, I'm sorry, that was in concurrent judgment. He, he dissented on, on, on other grounds. But his grounds were basically, hey, this case isn't, read, isn't ripe yet, because if you want to challenge a tax, you've got to wait and go to the tax court. That suggests to some people that maybe when the case was ripe, he might have joined Chief Justice Roberts in upholding the law as a valid exercise of the taxing power. Um, Beyond that, I understand that uh, President Trump is unhappy with him because of his uh, close ties to the Bush administration. Uh, I don't see that so much as ideological as personal. I think, you know, I've known Judge Kavanaugh for many years. Um, I think he's certainly an intelligent, thoughtful judge uh, who, you know, would respect the rule of law. And maybe there's a worry that, you know, he would um, sometimes call him as he sees him, which would not always be in the conservative direction. Although, frankly, one would hope that would be true of any nominee by any president. Uh, So I don't quite get the opposition uh, to Judge Kavanaugh. It seems to me it's based on, um, you know, projections, mostly from one decision. And so and he would also fit 
the Yale Law School. There, are, all the justices are either have gone to Harvard or Yale, and also he he clerked. Now, tell us about um, the other possible pick, uh, Kethledge, who seems to be coming into the fore here. So. Uh, Judge, interestingly, I think Judge Kethledge has uh, sort of, his stock has fallen a little bit today, but uh, he's also quite conservative, also a former law clerk for Justice Kennedy. Um, the He's, you know, he's uh, got a reliably conservative record. He's a little less high profile than Kavanaugh, doesn't have the Bush connection. Um, you know, the other two, as I said, are uh, Hardiman and Barrett. And, you know, Barrett is really the sort of wild card in this group. Uh, for one thing, she's the only woman on the short list. For another thing, she um, doesn't have uh, nearly the experience on the federal appeals court. She was uh, appointed there by uh, President Trump, but she apparently has become the, the darling of the uh, social conservatives. And so I thought I, I would see her stock rise, but apparently um, she didn't uh, have the right personal connection with President Trump in the interview. Yeah, the president's interview with her was only about 30 minutes, which was shorter than the others. And he seems to put a lot of stock in that personal interview. Now, the the one that's been looked at as the outsider was Hardman. He didn't go to an Ivy League school. He didn't clerk for any judge at all. And he financed his education by driving a cab. So he sort of would have been the type that you might have expected Trump to pick before he became president, the people that he was talking about picking. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he did go to Georgetown Law School, so he's got a, a good pedigree, and he's had a very successful career. But he does see more of a you know guy who picked himself up by his bootstraps that uh, had did not come from a uh, from privilege. Um, but you know, in a lot of respects, that's I think emblematic of the Trump administration, which is talking and appealing to working class voters, but. Then, uh, when it comes time to make decisions about personnel, uh, appointing billionaires, and uh, you know, serving the interests of of other folks, I, I'm not saying that any of the other three would necessarily vote their class interest, or that Judge Hardiman, uh, if he were named to the Supreme Court, would be more of a champion of. Uh, working folks. Uh, it's just that if you value a certain kind of intellectual diversity, you might want to value uh, diversity of experience. So when uh, Clarence Thomas was uh, nominated, part of the uh, the selling point for him was his story of coming from a uh, background, an unprivileged background in Pinpoint, Georgia. So that, that would be a very attractive story, I think, uh, if uh, the president were to settle on Hardiman. Now, the president put stock in what Mitch McConnell says, and the Senate Majority Leader advised the president that Judge Hardiman and Judge Kethledge would get fewer obstacles, would have fewer obstacles in the confirmation process, which it's it seems as if that is a little bit odd to me that he would pick those two as having fewer obstacles. And I wonder if that's maybe just the two that he likes. Uh, so I think that's quite possible. Uh, it's hard for me to see any nominee from President Trump, who's, you know, a sitting appeals court judge being voted down given that Republicans have a majority in the Senate and there are three Democrats from red states who voted to confirm Neil Gorsuch, and they would have to lose all of those people uh, in order to lose the nomination. Um, So it's possible that uh, Senator McConnell is 
painting this picture uh, in terms of confirmation prospects when it's really his own uh, personal preference. Or it could just be that he wants, you know, he'd rather have a greater margin for error. Thanks so much, Michael. It's a pleasure to have you on again. That's Michael Dorff. He's a professor at Cornell University Law School. We'll find out at nine tonight what the answer to this question is about who will replace Justice Kennedy or be the nominee at least. President Trump's top Supreme Court advisor, Leonard Leo of the Federalist Society, said on ABC's This Week that warnings that the next Supreme Court justice will overturn a ruling that legalized abortion is just speculation. We've been talking about this for 36 years, going all the way back to the nomination of Sandra O'Connor. And after that 36-year period, we only have a single individual on the court who has expressly said he would overturn Roe. So I think it's a bit of a scare tactic. Joining me is Christine Chabot, a distinguished scholar in residence at Loyola University Chicago School of Law. She's written a paper entitled, Do Justices Time Their Retirements Politically? Christine, Justice Kennedy seems to have timed his retirement politically with the Republican president and Senate. But how does that fit in with the discussion about the probability of Roe v. Wade and other decisions being overturned when Kennedy's replacement is on the court? Yes, well, certainly, um, if you look at this just on a, a party perspective, uh, Kennedy is a Republican appointee who is retiring to a Republican president. Uh, but if you look at his voting record in uh, the entire spectrum of non-unanimous cases, uh, you will see that uh, this is going to be anything but uh, the routine replacement of uh, a Republican appointee by another uh, Republican justice, because uh, Kennedy uh, was at the center of the court, uh, and uh, he was therefore uh, ideologically distant from leaders of both Democratic and Republican parties. Uh, so that being said, his retirement now um, is one that uh, the odds are stacked against us having a replacement who will vote uh, in a way that is similar to Justice Kennedy. Um, now, again, my data goes to look to uh, all issues in non-unanimous cases, so I won't it doesn't speak uh, specifically uh, to a case like Roe v. Wade, but it is important as, to have perspective as well on kind of the whole body of cases that the Supreme Court might decide, because there also could be some very important statutory issues uh, related to environmental law or antitrust as well. Tell us about your conclusion that political timing has not dominated justices' retirement decisions in the modern era. Um, yes, certainly. Uh, justices, uh, for many justices, uh, there is not a good time to leave the bench. And uh, probably a good example, uh, the, the best recent example of this might be Justice Ginsburg's uh, refusal to uh, retire during the Obama administration. Instead, uh, she wanted to stay on the bench. And I think part of the reason why justices might like to stay on for a long while is that uh, they're unlikely to be replaced by someone uh, who votes exactly like they do, uh, even if they do have uh, an ideologically compatible president that they retire to. I mean, it's, you're likely to be uh, more dissimilar if uh, you're retiring to uh, a distant president, but if you're, even if you're retiring to a president who shares many of your views, there's still a lot of variance uh, between the, the retiring justice uh, and their successor, and a good example of this might be uh, Justice Stevens' replacement by Justice Kagan. Um, so that they're, um, she's several seats away from the spot that uh, Justice Stevens occupied. So uh, even though Stevens uh, retired to President Obama, 
uh, his successor had a somewhat different voting record. It, it was very interesting that from from reading your report, it seemed that Justice Souter, who was a Republican appointee who retired during a Democrat a Democratic president, Obama's term, his replacement seemed to be more in line with the way he'd been voting. Yes, yes. And and, uh, by the measure in my paper, I'm thinking about justices' ideology uh, as evidenced by their voting records and how likely they are to be replaced by someone with a similar voting record, uh, which is uh, also very important uh, when we're considering what would happen with Justice Kennedy. Um, now, now, you mentioned of Justice Souter, actually. People have been talking about uh, him in the news a lot lately, I guess, with the fear that uh, will Trump's nominee or one of the nominees turn out to be uh, like Justice Souter? And I actually do have some earlier research that provides uh, historical perspective on that. And uh, historically, uh, presidents actually have been disappointed uh, and appointed a justice who might side with justices appointed by uh, the other party uh, most of the time. Uh, in many cases, almost half of the cases, at least in this, this study, was uh, from 1838 to 2009. So you can think of famous examples uh, like uh, President Eisenhower uh, being disappointed in the liberal voting patterns of Chief Justice Warren and Justice Brennan and saying that they were the worst mistakes he ever made. <laughs> uh, you know, so certainly uh, that has happened um, in the past, and some people are wondering if it will happen here. Uh, I, I don't think that's likely uh, to happen here for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, in recent decades, uh, presidents have really uh, improved their performance. They've uh, done a much better job uh, of appointing justices uh, who vote um, probably as their appointing president would like them to. Uh, and again, this is general uh, voting records across all non-unanimous cases. Um, but uh, they, they've done better on that score. And uh, part of that probably relates to uh, the careful vetting process that uh, uh, presidential administrations have gone through uh, to really make sure they've kind of carefully uh, read through and studied uh, every single thing these uh, various candidates have written uh, to understand how they're likely to vote. So in in this case, I tend to think uh, that the vetting process that uh, produced Justice Gorsuch will probably have similar success, uh, no matter which one of the three or four candidates uh, Justice Trump names today. All right. Well, it's it's a very interesting article, and it's uh, the first time that all these different parameters have been examined in the light of Supreme Court justices' uh, retirements. Thanks so much for being on the show. That's Christine Chabot. She's a distinguished scholar in residence at Loyola University Chicago School of Law. Her paper is entitled, Do Justices Time Their Retirements Political? And it certainly is a look at the mathematics of it all. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.